Everybody lies, especially about ourselves. We have a tendency, maybe even a personal responsibility to represent ourselves in the most positive way. Call it putting your best foot forward. In an interview for your dream job, if you were asked about your level of proficiency or the depth of your experience in a subject you're not all that familiar with, what would you say? You've made it this far on the cusp of realizing your dream and there's this one little thing, this minor detail standing between you and everything you ever wanted. If you're like most people, and if you honestly feel like you're fit for the job, there's a good chance that you'd lie. You'd say you are familiar with it, drum up your best response, positive that once you get the job, you'll be able to handle or learn to handle whatever comes your way. You'll fake it till you make it. This type of lying is common. It's almost expected. Your intention isn't to deceive for the sake of deceiving. You're just putting your best foot forward, giving yourself a chance. And if you're convincing enough and you do get that job, well, you can't really just stop faking it, can you? This podcast tells the stories of people we empathize with or root for. Sometimes because of what they did and sometimes in spite of it. I'm Caleb Carter. This is Antihero. She had to fake it until she could make it. Those words from the defendant's own attorney, who claimed she never intended to commit a crime. But prosecutors call her a fraud and a liar who would do almost anything to prolong her life of luxury. In 2016, Anna Delvey was a 25-year-old, fun-loving, popular, wealthy, and generous member of the New York City social scene. She lived a lavish life, was always well-dressed, and had no permanent residence instead choosing to live month to month in the high-end hotels of New York City. She spent her time in the exclusive downtown bars, clubs, and restaurants where she indulged in expensive fun, fueled by an endless supply of money. She was always in the right place at the right time, wearing the right dress, surrounded by the right people. Nobody really knew who she was or where she came from. She just kind of appeared one day and acted as if she'd always been there. Nobody really knew the source of her wealth either, but she spent money like she could never run out of it. Young wealthy people popping up in the social scene of a place like New York City isn't all that uncommon. It's also not uncommon for those young people to be living a life afforded to them by their successful parents. So when Anna told people her father was a German billionaire, nobody blinked. She bought whatever she wanted, traveled the world, got into exclusive parties, had private dinners with celebrities, and never settled for anything but the best of everything. There honestly isn't enough time in this episode to tell you about all the extravagant things Anna did. She did everything you could imagine a 20-something-year-old with an unlimited amount of money would do. For a short time, a year, maybe two, she lived a life that dreams are made of. And just like dreams, none of it was real. By the time Anna set up the notorious week-long trip to Morocco, she had been gliding through the New York social scene unscathed. She invited four of her closest friends and she would be covering the expenses for all of them. Travel, food, shopping, entertainment, a vacation of a lifetime for free. The lucky four were Rachel Williams, an editor at Vanity Fair, her personal trainer who usually worked with celebrities, a videographer who was recording Anna's life in preparation for a behind-the-scenes documentary, and Nefetari Neff Davis, a concierge she met at Eleven Howard, an upscale hotel she'd been staying at for months. Before the trip, Neff's manager told her that Anna's room charges hadn't been paid in a while and they didn't have a working credit card on file. 
The staff knew Anna was a regular and they often had wealthy visitors rack up charges, always paying them off with a swipe of a card. But the expensive dinners, bar tabs, room service, and per-night fees had piled up to an amount that management was uncomfortable with. They were going to change the access code to her room until her account was paid off. Neff wasn't worried at all. She had no reason to be. Since she'd met Anna, she'd never known for her to have trouble with money. Sure, she would pay late at times or forget to pay someone back for picking up a tab or a cab fare she'd promised to cover, but that was more of a product of her forgetfulness and fast-paced life than a product of anything money-related. She assured management that her friend would have no issue paying what she owed. Still, she texted Anna, who was traveling back from Warren Buffett's exclusive investment conference in Omaha, letting her know that she wouldn't have any access to her room until she paid off her balance. Anna, frustrated with what she felt like was poor treatment, declared she'd be moving out after the trip to Morocco. As it turns out, Neff had to decline her invitation. The hotel wouldn't let her take a week off. She remembers Anna urging her to quit, to come enjoy a week in paradise, promising she'd take care of anything Neff needed once they got back until she could find a better job. She was too good for that place anyway, and Neff considered it, but her mom told her that she had a bad feeling about all of this. Nothing in life is free, she said. So Neff stayed behind, and the group of friends headed to Morocco without her. They would be staying in a couple of different places over the course of the week, starting with a private villa with a personal butler, all for $7,000 a night. Neff was admittingly jealous and disappointed, but she'd later find out a mother's intuition is rarely wrong. It started when Anna, who'd promised to cover all expenses on the trip and who had a history of actually doing so, started making excuses about why she couldn't pay for certain things. A dinner here or there, a couple of dresses, a night of drinks, asking one friend after another to cover this one. She'd pay them back when she got her finances sorted out. She just needed to talk to her bank. They sometimes gave her trouble or made her go through some extra verification processes. It was a security measure because she traveled so much. She could be in Omaha, then New York, then Morocco, all in the same week. It made sense. Then her personal trainer got food poisoning two days into the trip and had to go back to New York. She didn't know it yet, but the universe had done her a favor, and it was about to do her another one. She got a call from Anna, who was hysterical. Her credit card just stopped working at the Four Seasons in Casablanca. She was still having problems with her bank. There was an unpaid balance of $62,000. The hotel was threatening to call the police. The trainer, who saw Anna as a real friend, and maybe more importantly, had seen plenty of evidence of her wealth, got on the phone with the hotel and said, trust me, she's good for it emphasizing that she just spent two days with Anna at a private villa and Anna had covered all the costs, but the hotel wasn't buying it. So her trainer supplied her credit card number. It failed to go through, so she spoke with her bank and tried again. When it didn't work this time, she called a friend and convinced her to provide her credit card number. When that didn't work, the hotel conceded that the issue might actually be on their end. The trainer got off the phone without ever being charged anything. But Rachel Williams wouldn't be so lucky. After the phone call with the trainer, the hotel took a deeper look into their system, did some testing, and confirmed that the issue was not on their end. The Vanity Fair editor, who made less than $60,000 a year, was pressured into putting the $62,000 balance on the American Express card she used for work expenses. Anna promised her a wire transfer would hit her account as soon as they returned home. When they got back to New York, Anna pulled up to the 11 Howard in a silver Tesla. She was there to move out and demanded her personal belongings. She then moved into the Beekman, another upscale hotel, and when her credit card stopped working there, she was kicked out. Things were starting to unravel. She bounced around from hotel to hotel, and then from friend to friend. 
A month after Rachel had footed the bill in Morocco, she still hadn't been paid back. She contacted Anna dozens of times and received dozens of excuses. Confused and angry, she started thinking about all the encounters she'd ever had with her now ex-friend. After running countless scenarios through her mind, replaying all the times Anna ever told her something that seemed a little off, something clicked. She'd never actually seen any proof that Anna was who she said she was, or had the type of money she said she had. It didn't add up. She couldn't pay for anything in Morocco, and now she couldn't pay the money that she owed. Anna had to be a fraud. Rachel used her media ties to go public. The media started digging into the life of Anna Delvey, and respected publications in New York began posting stories about the wannabe socialite, the fake heiress. Stories detailing her dishonest business dealings, all the time she skipped out on hotel bills or expensive dinners. People came forward about times they loaned her money or paid for things like plane tickets, vacations, bar tabs, all while never being paid back. When the police got involved, it was quickly determined that Anna was not who she said she was. The German heiress was actually Russian, and her real name was Anna Sorokin. Her father was a former truck driver who now owned a small heating and cooling systems business. He was comfortably and proudly middle class. She was born in Russia and her family moved to Germany in 2007. After graduating high school in 2011, she moved to London where she attended Central St. Martins, a world-renowned art and design school. She became fascinated with art and design and it was around this time when she started dreaming of one day opening up her own art house. While in London, she interned at a PR firm, then moved to Paris, where she interned for the high-end European art magazine, Purple. She moved to New York in 2014, remade herself, and started telling people that she was Anna Delvey, a German heiress with a trust fund that she was going to use to build a dynamic visual art center dedicated to contemporary art. She had a plan. She felt that Anna Sorokin would never get the millions of dollars it would take to establish an art house. People and banks wouldn't invest in Anna Sorokin, the middle-class foreigner from Russia, so she needed to create a more sophisticated, better-connected version of herself and use her influence and reputation to secure money to finance her dream. She lied about who she was, where she came from, who her parents were. She targeted specific people, befriending them to add to her legitimacy, most notably Rachel Williams, who was not overly wealthy, but as part of her job at Vanity Fair, ran in the same circle as the popular socialites in New York. Anna was carefully constructing an image, and it was disingenuous, but early on, it wasn't illegal. However, to fully complete the construction of her image, she needed the clothes, the shoes, the vacations, expensive dinners, all the things that screamed influence. She needed money. So she falsified financial documents from international banks, wrote bad checks from those accounts, produced fake wire transfer receipts, and deposited the money in New York banks. This netted her hundreds of thousands of dollars. The next step in the construction of her image was to spend traveling in private jets to Ibiza in Venice at a moment's notice, wearing the latest collection of the most expensive designer clothes and shoes that she could find, using Instagram to publicly display it all. She was impressively convincing, but she didn't keep all the money to herself. People are often impressed by what you have and what they see you do for yourself, but nothing sticks in the minds of people more than what they see you do for others, specifically what you do for them. Some say it was just another ploy, but Anna says it's just the kind of person she is. She took people out to expensive dinners, shared high-priced bottles of wine, took friends on vacations, bought expensive gifts for people she barely knew, 
funded shopping sprees, gave substantial tips to anyone who did anything for her. Waitresses, bartenders, Uber drivers, a concierge who once gave her directions. Whenever she showed up to a hotel, staff members would fight over who got to help her with her bags because $100 bills seemingly fell right out of her red hair. She spared no expense and covered them all whenever she could. And the New York social scene embraced her. She rubbed shoulders with celebrities, made friends with internationally known chefs, got invites to exclusive parties and dinners. She had become the creation she envisioned. But now she was on the run. Banks had caught on to her schemes. Her credit cards had been deactivated. She was out of money and out of people who believed in her enough to cover for her. She'd been kicked out of multiple hotels for failure to pay, kicked off the couches of former friends and exposed by the New York media. The police caught up to her and arrested her at a rehab center in California. She'd gone in, pretended to have an addiction, just looking for a place to sleep. The so-called socialite walks into a Manhattan courtroom, handcuffed in modest clothing rather than decked out in the expensive outfits she wore, pretending to be a wealthy German heiress. Instead, authorities say the 28-year-old is a fraudster who owes nearly $300,000 to banks, hotels and friends and is facing grand larceny and theft charges. But her defense attorney says theft wasn't her intention. Fake it until you make it. Anna had to live by this. Sorokin was arrested in October 2017, held without bail at Rikers ever since. The trial started in March of 2019. She had been charged with four counts of grand larceny, two counts of attempted grand larceny, and theft of services totaling nearly $300,000. Her most severe crime was revealed during trial. And what her attorney says was an attempt to secure enough money to fund the art house project. Anna used falsified documents showing she had a net worth of 60 million euros tucked away in offshore accounts. She used these documents to request a $22 million loan from City National Bank. She also submitted this documentation to Fortress Bank looking for a 25 to $35 million loan. When Fortress Bank asked Anna for a $100,000 deposit during the initial stage of the process, Anna somehow convinced the City National Bank representative to extend her a $100,000 line of credit. She then wired that money to Fortress Bank, but when Fortress Bank decided to send representatives to Switzerland to personally verify her assets, she took the money back and withdrew her loan requests, pocketing the money. The bank records and testimonies of former friends like Rachel Williams made the prosecution's job easy. Anna was guilty of a lot of things. Her lawyer agreed, but he wanted the jury to know that she didn't do what she did for the reasons people assumed. And she shouldn't be punished like she did. It wasn't about greed. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about clothes. It wasn't about all the trips and fun nights out. It wasn't even about the money. This all started because she had a dream of one day running her own art house, and the way she went about achieving that dream, though misguided and so obviously irrational, it was effective. So she kept it up, and somewhere along the way, she fell in love with the way that people looked at her and treated her when they thought she was one of them. He told the jury that the way Anna saw it was, in this world, only the privileged people get to live their dreams, and she would never be privileged, so what was she to do? She could have done like most of us and picked another, more affordable, achievable dream, but she wanted her dream. And if she had to pretend to be someone else in order to achieve it, then that's what she was willing to do. So she would create this identity, use it to get a business loan from the bank, create an art house, pay the banks back, and anyone else she owed. The early success she had only reinforced her irrational beliefs. Even what she did to Rachel Williams wasn't intentional. If she knew her credit cards were going to be deactivated once she got to Morocco, she would have never gone. 
But when she got there and had no way of paying for it, she did what she had to do. She let Rachel pay for it, and she believed she'd be able to get the money to pay her back once they got home. She'd already gotten thousands of dollars out of the banks and had no reason to believe she wouldn't be able to do it again. It just didn't work out this time. It's hard to tell if the jury empathized with Anna's mindset. They couldn't exactly find her not guilty because she so obviously was. But at the same time, they didn't convict her of everything. And they easily could have. The charges she was found guilty of carry a combined sentence of up to 15 years in prison. She's scheduled to be sentenced on May 9th, just a few days from the time of this recording. Anna lied and stole, and then lied and stole some more. But what she did more effectively than anything was pretend. And it worked. She pretended to belong to a social club, and she was accepted. And the only requirement was that she had money. If you believe her, if you believe why she said she did what she did, and if you believe she just got swept up in this fake life of her dreams, then you must see why continuing to pretend was such an easy decision for her. If the rich get richer and the poor stay poor, and you have the opportunity, why not pretend to be rich just long enough to actually become rich? Why not fake it till you make it? If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot if you rated it and left a review. It helps bring more visibility to the podcast and lets us know how we can improve. For more information about the show, visit us at antiheropodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at antihero underscore podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend about us and don't forget to subscribe. This is Antihero.